the art of self-reliance is forging your own path, but the path is difficult. Made easier by learning from those who have succeeded in directing their own lives on their own terms. With their help and inspiration, your path to self-reliance moves from dream to reality. And now, here's your host, Dr. Rodney King. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Self-Reliance podcast. In this episode, I speak to Dr. Ashley Lucas. Ashley has over 15 years of education in the field of nutrition and metabolism. In her mid-20s, she retired from her professional ballet career. While understanding the importance nutrition played in her own sport performance, she went on to earn her PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease from Virginia Tech. Her research throughout her six-year postgraduate doctoral training focused on energy metabolism and the female athlete triad. She is a nationally renowned speaker and leading expert in the field of weight management and behavioral change. In this episode, we discuss nutrition for weight management, why a holistic approach to weight loss and behavioral therapy are essential to successful weight loss, and Ashley's perspective on the weight loss problem in the modern world. The art of self-reliance calls you to adventure, to develop your self-protection skills, to learn how to survive no matter where you find yourself, and to thrive amongst life's chaos. All right, so Ashley, here's my first question for you. When you hear the words self-reliance, what does that mean to you? Mm, what it means to me, I come from it um, from a weight loss and nutrition standpoint, you know, so I think um, being totally self-sufficient, understanding what to eat and when and how to support your unique body, because it's different for each person. Um, I think being empowered to make the right decisions that support your body. You sometimes we feel like if we're not eating specific foods, maybe we're deprived or restricting ourselves. When I look at that as a form of self-respect, saying no to certain foods, knowing that it makes you feel crappy if you eat those foods, it's okay to say no. You know, I think in this diet culture that we have almost this health at every size, we feel like if we say no to ourselves, or if we say, gosh, this is a food that I really don't want to eat. I don't know. We're, we're, the communication there is a little confusing. So I think it's important to know that it's okay to say no, and mm. it's okay to eat foods that really nourish your body. So that that's where I would go with that. No, no, I think that's really good. And just like, as you said it, right. So having respect for ourselves to be able to make that decision to not eat certain things because we know that it affects us in a negative way, right? It's, it's hard sometimes, I'll be honest, especially if you enjoy it, right? That's right. <laughs> so, you know, I'm thinking, yeah. of my, I'm thinking of myself here and my, uh, kind of my Achilles heel is uh, cheese. And, uh, but every time I eat cheese, I pay for it. And it's kind of interesting how I came to that realization. I didn't realize that cheese was causing me problems until I went back and became vegetarian again. And so I cut out all the meat, obviously, out of my diet. I was eating pretty healthy. And then every now and again, I would eat cheese. And as soon as I did that, my stomach would just go all over the place. And you know, it sounded like there was a war going on in there, right? And so I never put those two things together. Like I, I had that experience before, but I, I didn't think it was the actual cheese. So I guess there's some part of this where you have to learn about what, what uh, triggers different things in your body based on 
you know, what you're eating. I guess the biggest problem is, and here's my question is, there is so much information out there. It is so conflicting. Most people have no idea where, where to start. All these fad diets. Ashley, where do we begin? It's tough. Nutrition is really like a belief system, don't you think? You, you can find anything to support your perception of what, what you want to sound healthy. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the first step is, and, and that's difficult too, because I would say to get expert support, but there are experts that support all different ways of eating. So I think there's going to be some trial and error in there to figure out really where your body feels its best. Like, you know, if, if you're a vegetarian, I know my body doesn't thrive that way. But if yours does, then that's great. And we're going to have total different ways of eating. So I think that's the first step is a little bit of trial and error to figure out where your body feels its best, but also not to be blocked that if you know, you thrived as being a vegetarian for a decade and then no longer do it's okay. It's not your belief system necessarily, but you are open and radically open-minded to try something else because our body does change in what it tolerates and what it doesn't as, as we age and as we go through different environmental triggers. So I, yeah, I think some trial and error there, and then just being open-minded, knowing that your nutrition is going to shift as you go through different life stages. That's a good point. I mean, I think a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, what I could, for example, eat when I was in my 20s, I just can't do that now. Um, you know, I could just consume any amounts of food and just kind of stay trim. Now I pick up the weight really quickly. And obviously that's just the age progression, right? Going and, and all the hormonal changes that come along with that. What is your take on really just approaching it, I guess, and simplifying what you eat. I think the problem, of course, is that, you know, just thinking historically for most of humankind, we were hunter gatherers. This kind of modern world we live in is just a blip on the radar of, of, of the human existence. You do not see overweight, out of shape hunter gatherers. No, you don't. So that says something, right? I mean, so we've got to this point where one, we've made it so difficult to eat the right thing. But at the same time, if we look historically, we didn't have the problems that we have today. So what's your, what's your take on that? Yeah. I mean, so from a nutritional standpoint, it's dropping the junk, breaking the ties with the foods you say you love that don't love you back. And then we all, in all our different types of, of diets, if it's paleo or vegan or vegetarian, there's always junk. There's always processed foods that our body just really doesn't tolerate. So I think it's always a good goal to eat less out of a box. No matter what diet you're on, your pantry shouldn't be full of food, right? We, we want the basics of what we're eating in our fridge. I think the majority of us can agree to that. If you think about us way back when we had periods where we would feast and then we wouldn't have food for a long period of time. And so we would have to fast. So having periods of time where we're not eating and giving our body just time to, to renew and, um, you know, let our cells turn over a little bit without just having to digest and metabolize food all the time. So that's a big component of it. And then we have our lifestyle aspects as well. You can eat all the healthiest foods in the world, but if you're in a, a state of chronic stress, it's going to go into your fat mass. And so stress management is huge. Sleep is a big deal. A study came out looking at individuals who either slept more than seven hours or less. And those who slept less ate less and weighed more. 
So sleep is a huge component. The more we sleep, studies show, the more we can eat and less, you know, will our body fat percentage be. So that's a big component. And then there's just living a, an active lifestyle. I'm not saying go to the gym and get on the elliptical machine, but moving and moving because you love the way that it feels. Hmm. So there's a lot that you said there. Let's try to unpack some of it. First, we, you know, you were talking about, you know, just having the, the, the kind of the, the fundamentals of food. I guess one of the ways to maybe describe it, the way that I would look at it is if somebody asked me that, I say, well, you know, keep, you know, in your pantry, on your refrigerator, the kinds of foods that are as closest to the earth as possible, right? As you noted, you know, stay away from anything that's processed. And that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a really good point that you made because even when I think about being vegetarian and I fall into this sometimes, so you know, I'm a bit of a, a culprit here when it comes to it, is that you have all these kind of like fake meats now, but it's vegetarian, right? But that would still be considered, I guess, you know, processed food. So at the end of the day, you know, how healthy is that for you? I, I think the bottom line is you need to kind of get to that place where whatever you eat, consuming, or at least most of it is as close to its origin as it possibly can be. Yes, I agree with that. Definitely. Second thing to that was you talked about fasting and that's kind of a, a big thing. Now I noticed that, you know, wherever I look, there are a lot of people talking about that. So maybe kind of just talk to us a little bit more about fasting. I mean, what's your perspective on it? I'm assuming you're an advocate of it because you mentioned it. And, you know, outside of what you've already mentioned, like, why do you think that's important? And maybe even how would a person go about it? Because there's some ridiculous stuff going on, right? Where we have people fasting for like a month. Yeah. I don't know how good that can be for you. But anyway, I mean, I don't think that's what you're suggesting, right? No. Yeah. <laughs> I could come out of the out of the box and be like, yeah, Dr. King, that's exactly what I would say. Um, no. So Again, everybody is different. Some people will tolerate fasting. Some people won't. It depends on your health situation. If you're taking medications, like all different aspects are going to come into play. Um, In general, I find that it's an overall great health and wellness tool, but not necessarily even a weight loss tool. We play with it in our practice and some people really like it and some people don't. So that's the first thing is don't feel pigeonholed that you're not doing yourself no good if you can't fast or you really don't love it. It also takes some time to get into it. So if we can teach the body how to be fat adapted, if we can teach the body how to burn fuel for fat, then fasting becomes pretty effortless and you don't have hunger or cravings or the dizziness or any of those kind of negative symptoms. So, um, yeah, the first step is to become fat adapted, teach the body how to do it. And I would say to start small. So for example, a 16 hour window of fasting with an eight hour window of eating where you don't overcompensate for the time where you weren't eating. So the ticket to success is to enter into that eating period of time, like you did eat breakfast, like it was a normal day. And so what that would look like is you would stop eating around eight o'clock at night, say, and then you wouldn't eat or consume any type of calories again until the afternoon. Then you'd eat your lunch, maybe a mid-afternoon snack and dinner meal. And then you could repeat that. You could do that every day if you want, or you could do that just a few times a week. Another option is to fast 24 hours. You could do that maybe once a week, twice a week, but probably no more than that would be really needed. And then if you really, so, so that's going to just help the body have time to renew the cells can replenish and recycle themselves. 
But if you really want to get into the aspect of longevity, then you would need a longer than 72 hour fast. So like a four day fast, maybe once a quarter, and then you would get into potentially the benefits from a longevity perspective. So it really depends on your goals and what you can tolerate. No, absolutely. So the other thing you mentioned, which I think falls into this idea, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of talk about a holistic approach, right, to weight loss. But the part of that I, that I kind of uh, heard you say there was that it's not just about diet, right? And I think that's really important is that a lot of times that's, I think, what a lot of people think is that, well, you know, if I just get my diet right, then I'm going to be able to lose the weight that I, that I want to, and I'm, I'm going to be okay. And then they find that it doesn't. And a lot of that, as you noted, and again, let's talk about that is really lifestyle, like what's happening in their life. I mean, I know when I was like the most stressed out and I was really stressed all the time, it really didn't matter how my diet was. I just, if they, if I, if the goal was to lose weight, it just wasn't going anywhere because I'm assuming, and I'm guessing that my body felt that it was in an emergency state. So it just started hoarding as much as it possibly could in case it needed that for energy, right? Yeah. So there are a specific cascade of hormonal shifts that happen when we're chronically stressed. So that acute stress, you know, that stress of waking up and being late for a meeting gets you to the meeting as quickly as possible. So that acute stress is okay. Um, that's like, if we go back to hunter gatherer days and we saw a tiger and we're like, holy crap, we need to run away from this tiger. You want that stress response because it's going to push your heart rate up and allow your muscles to fire in rapid session. So, um, the chronic stress is where we are right now in our society. We're always stressed. So our cortisol levels are elevated. And when cortisol is elevated with different other hormones, it just basically keeps the fat in the fat cell. So we can't release that fat. Think of it being like it's locked away in a storage unit and you can't access it when you're stressed and you have other hormone situations going on. So that's what happens is it just blocks it in there. Whereas if we could release the stress, let go of the stress, I always say that dropping weight is, is a process of letting go. You're letting go of this excess fat weight, but also all of these emotions that are tied to it. So we have to find out what is that emotional um, wave underneath that has to be calmed as we are also losing this weight. Um, so to go back to the stress aspect, yeah, if, if we're highly stressed, that fat is going to be packed in the fat cell and we can't access it to burn it and lose it. Yeah, one of the ways that I describe this to a lot of people is it's like you're running hot all the time, meaning that, you know, your sympathetic nervous system, that part that's responsible for the fight, flight and freeze response is just running all the time. It's running hot and it's never been switched off. So you're never going back to that homeostasis. So in essence, what happens is your body budget that you're trying to keep in homeostasis is completely out of whack. And so, you know, as you were, as you were noting, so you could be eating really well, but if that side is not being taken care of, then you're going to have a real problem, you know, getting to the place that you want to, as far as weight loss goes. How much do you think that society as it is now, and especially in the Western world plays into this? And the reason why so many people are having these problems with, for example, weight gain, because one of the things, of course, is that if, you know, if you just look, there's a lot of documentaries coming out about this is that you look at the parts of the world that would be considered third world. 
And for the most part, um, they, they lived a pretty healthy lifestyle. They, they ate food very close to its source. And for the, you know, for the longest time, they were in pretty good shape, right? Now what started happening is all this fast food is coming into their diet and the landscape, so to speak, is completely changing. And now all of a sudden they're dealing with the same health issues that we do in the West. I think that's a big thing, right? Is that we, we don't always take into account that the environment that we in is also a major part of the problem. And so I think a lot of people get down on themselves, but they also don't realize that they're fighting this machine. Definitely. This enormous machine with its marketing power and everything else pushing down on them. And that's very difficult to work through. Definitely. That's that's who we're fighting against. It are these, these big food companies, the food industry, um, selling us these foods that just are created to smell perfectly where there's no willpower that can overcome that smell. Um, the look of it, the taste, the crunch, the saltiness versus the spiciness. I know there's a specific type of Dorito where they put just a few extra spicy, like purple colored chips in the bag. And it shows that we're going to eat significantly more because we keep trying to eat to find that special chip in the bag. So everything is marketed against us and our well-being. So I really do not think that weight gain is our fault. It has nothing to do with us and our personality or willpower or discipline. We're stuck in this hormonal situation once we have accumulated some of this fat. And then we have all of these foods and the cheap foods there that are marketed for us. And then we have these inflammatory type of vegetable oils that wreak havoc on the body and then high loads of sugar on top of that with the environment of high stress and and all these other aspects, lack of sleep. And um, yeah, so we're, we're fighting a good fight, but it can be done. <laughs> the fight can be fought and we can live a life where we've got optimal health and we feel empowered and, and self-resilient, you know? Well, that's one of the things I noticed when, when I was in the States, uh, just looking around. And it was very evident to me that if I went and bought a fast food meal, it was going to be far cheaper for me to buy that than if I went and I made them made a healthy meal from scratch. And so for somebody that doesn't have that knowledge and doesn't know how to do that, you can see how they can fall into that trap. And then also at the same time, believing what's been sold to them that actually this is okay and this is all right to eat, right? And so, you know, one of the things you notice, and, and you're probably very aware of this, is that when you look at impoverished neighborhoods, that's where you tend to see a lot of problems with weight, a lot of obese obesity. I came from that environment. So I grew up in Johannesburg on the south side of Johannesburg in government housing. I grew up poor. And so that was very evident to me in my neighborhood because they're kind of like processed, quick, easy, fast food stuff out of a can. You know, that was the stuff that was the go-to because it was the stuff that people could afford. And nobody came up with an alternative. So I guess that's, that's, it's also a problem in, in of itself, right? Is that it's, it's cheaper to go and get fast food than it is to make it yourself. And when you're a, for example, a single mom and you're working two jobs and you've got kids and you're just tired, the last thing you want to do is come home and now I have to cook. That's right. Yeah. I totally agree with you. So one of the things that I, I'll get your take on here is that one of the solutions to this, which I think is really good. And I've seen this, um, you know, in certain parts of the world is that taking, 
land that is not being used and turning it into actual, you know, gardens where people actually can plant food and actually take that, uh, that self-reliance back where it's like, okay, you know what, we can actually plant vegetables and so forth and then make it available to the community. Yes. I've seen that too. I think that's great. Yeah. It's a great idea. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of just uh, coming back to what we've been talking about, if, you know, as a listener and I'm listening to you, what would you say is your perspective on weight loss? Like what makes your perspective different? Because as we noted in the beginning, lots of people out there are talking about this. Everybody has an opinion. What makes what you do different? Well, we really challenge the standard ways of thinking when it comes to everything weight loss and behavior related. So, you know, I come from this, um, I come from an area where I was just always under eating and, um, I was a professional ballet dancer and never at, at the body weight that I needed to be. So I was under eating over exercised, injured all the time and, and had great discipline and willpower, but still wasn't where I needed to be. And so I went on and I, and I earned my PhD in sports nutrition and chronic disease to study, like, how do we drop weight? How do we get to a place without ruining the metabolism, which I knew I had done for myself? Um, and how do we do it and make change sustainably from a mental and emotional component? So I really studied that piece and, and put that together so that I'm really against calories in, calories out. I think the body's much more complicated than that. It didn't work for me. And when I look at the science behind it, we know that if you chronically restrict calories, you're just going to shut down the metabolism. So these diets where it's 800 calories a day or even 1200 calories a day and, uh, you know, no fat in the diet, fat free, low fat, just count points, all calories are the same. I mean, when we really look at the science, that's not true and it's not the case and you can do damage to your metabolism. So that's kind of the foundation of, of where I came from. And then understanding that 80% of any change in, in life comes from the mind. So for a lot of programs, they're just eat less, you need to exercise more, write down what you're eating in the day, and they don't even tackle. So not only is the nutrition causing harm, and it's not sustainable, but they're not tackling why we eat the way that we do, right? The neural pathways that have been ingrained in us telling us why we might be unworthy or why we're always going to be fat or why we should fear getting to an optimal place and, and dropping 50, 100 plus pounds, you know? So there's a lot of head trash in there as well. That needs to be cleared as we're clearing this excess fat weight as well. So that's one component. And then another component as to how we're really different is that we understand this belly fat is active. The fat cells in the belly secrete hormones that make you hungry, make you crave, that slow your metabolism. So this fat mass is like a tumor almost. It's not, but it acts like it, right? So I, I want you to think that it has its own agenda and all it wants to do is get fatter as fast as possible. And it's in there secreting these hormones that do that. So once you've got this belly fat in there, man, your, your neural pathways connect to it and they talk to one another and they tell you to, to go for those foods and to eat that cheese <laughs> when you know that it doesn't do your body any good or whatever that food might be, the French fries or whatever. Yeah. And so unlike many other programs, we don't have you choose how much weight you want to drop. 
let's say you come in with this 80 pound fat mass and you're like, you know, I think I want to drop 30. That would feel good. I'd be in this size pants. I can remember. Um, that's good. Well, well, we look at it like, okay, well you have this 80 pound hungry fat mass tumor that has demands and desires and urges and cravings. And if you lose 30 pounds, that's great, but you still have over half of it there. You haven't created a metabolic shift and you're just waiting and it's not going to be long for it to all come back. It's like you've removed a third of the tumor. Well, you know, what's going to happen. It's going to grow back. It's just a matter of time. And with weight gain like that, it comes back fast. Um, so it's really understanding that and sticking to our foundational premise of really fully collapsing that fat mass. So your metabolism can become fast and efficient and work for you. So you don't just look at a beer and a piece of pizza and gain five pounds. It shouldn't be that way. Um, so yeah, we have lots of moving parts in there. And then of course, what and when to eat, we, we have that wrapped in there as well. And it's different than, um, you know, what any other program is doing. What I like what you were saying then, if I understood it correctly, was that, and I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm making this assumption, at least from my perspective, is that the body is not just this vehicle that gets the head around from point A to point B, that actually the body itself is holding memory. It has its own intelligence. And it's a two-way street of discussion going on. You know, the, the brain is talking to the body, but the body is also talking to the brain. I guess the issue for a lot of people not understanding that is that maybe when my brain, when, you know, cognitively, when I'm talking to myself, I'm, I can hear myself, I'm talking and, and I'm talking to myself and I'm saying I shouldn't be doing, you know, ABC. But when my body is talking the other way around, a lot of times that's not going to be in my conscious awareness. So that gets like kind of deep within the unconscious. And that's where our habits form. And we end up doing things, even though we've just said to ourselves possibly early in the morning, not to do that again. Right. So, I mean, I catch myself doing that. It's like, well, you know, I realize eating cheese is really bad for me. I'm going to kind of stay off it. And then by the end of the day, I've slipped. Right. And uh, I keep asking myself, like, how is that? How is that possible? Because just like you, I, I, I see myself as a disciplined person. I trained martial arts my whole life. And so I feel that my, my ability to get to where I've got to require discipline. Yet I can't get a handle on that. But I think as you've been noting is that this idea is not just stored in my brain, it's stored in my body. And there's a conversation going upwards that I'm just not picking up on. So I guess the question is, if you agree with that, how do we get to listen? How do we get to actually engage in that, that conversation so that we do actually listen? Yeah. So from a, a metabolic standpoint, it can be helpful to shift what you're eating so that those body cues are different. They're, they're tuned down that hunger, the cravings I've got to have this. Now I'm ravenous by how you eat. You can change those cues where you don't have the cravings, the hunger, the ravenous, maybe for you and that cheese, your body saying that you need more fat. It's asking for fat. Like, what are you getting in that cheese? Um, so maybe you need to, to substitute that for something else that will quiet that, that demand. And obviously you mean, when you say substitute, it, it could be something else that is potentially, you know, healthier. Right. But at the end of the day, just something that's not going to cause the same problem that I'm dealing with when I eat cheese. Right. Yeah. Like, um, you probably need more fat in your diet, maybe some olive oil, avocado oil, Yee, whatever you're open to eating for fat, your body's probably telling you that it needs more. 
and it just knows cheese. And there's a component of cheese that's kind of addictive in there. So, and it tastes good. But I bet if you were to sub that amount of cheese with some kind of oil in your dish that you might find your body satiated. Yeah. So I have found that's a good point that you made there. So I have found that um, olives helps really well. So if I'm eating olives, that works. Um, I just have to remind myself though. So I guess that's that point of like, you know, substitute, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe what no we have cheese in the house. Yeah. Maybe no cheese in the house or just a memo on the, on the refrigerator, no cheese, eat olives, whatever's going to work. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So you, so you, you, one point of advice is good. So substitute it with something else. Right. Yep. Um, downplay those, those sugars, that junk, that fast food is going to drive addiction where our, our body is telling us one thing and our brain knows another. And so really letting go of those foods. Like I said, breaking the ties with the foods you say you love that do not love you back being big enough and bold enough to write those down and to understand what those are, you know, brownies, you could say are not for me, at least not right now, while I'm trying to downplay the hunger, that those cues that I want to break the sugar addiction, we're going to let go of those foods. It's not everything in moderation. I really dislike that phrase. It's like telling you to eat cheese in moderation. It's still not going to make you feel good. And you're probably going to overeat it because it's just where your brain is wired right now. Not to say that after you eat olives or whatever these fats are going to be for a year and you practice that, it's not going to be perfect, but you practice and you rewire, then maybe in the future you could bring back a little cheese or you just have cheese when you dine out, you know, on a salad because you enjoy it, but you know, it's in a controlled manner. So we've been told just eat whatever you want, eat it in moderation, but it's, that doesn't work for the majority, maybe for the naturally lean person who can just naturally eat that way. I think someone who is naturally lean came up with that phrase. <laughs> um, uh, Cause you know, yeah. So I was just thinking there about this, this idea of craving, like having this craving for a specific thing. And, and one thing that I noticed is that, and it takes a while, but as you clear up your diet and you start eating healthier options, you do crave those healthier options. So it's, it's not as if, you know, you, you, you don't have cravings anymore. Are you going to think, well, I'm going to eat healthy, but I'm, you know, I just, that craving that I have for specific things will no longer be there. They are, but now your craving is for healthy options, which is kind of interesting. And I don't think most people realize that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We have a, a client, um, Angelo, and he's dropped over a hundred pounds. And he said that he was talking to a, a group of people who um, w- wanted to drop weight, but they were a little hesitant. And so he was saying that every morning beforehand, he would have a cinnamon roll and he just let it go. And he, and he was nervous about it. He's like, how am I not? I mean, I, he's had a cinnamon roll every single day since he can remember. And he's like 40 years old. And he was just so nervous about the cinnamon roll. And, and after one week, he doesn't even look at it. The smell of it kind of grosses him out. And um, it just, and it, you know, the, the temptation would come just because it was a habit mm. that the craving in there, the body craving was gone, but it's just like when you quit smoking, the nicotine might be out of your body, but that habit of rolling down the window and putting your finger up and taking a break, you know, which is really what smoking is taking a break was still there. So, so after, uh, you know, maybe two, three months, just the, even the thought of it never came back and he could walk by it and, and be fine and have no desire. And so he went on and talked about how amazing he feels and how he did this because he wanted to fit in, go to Disneyland with his kids and be able to go in any ride. And, you know, he was over 300 
50 pounds or something, you know? So he did that feel, feels great. And, and this, he goes, any questions? And this one lady raised her hand. She's like, so you can never have a cinnamon roll again. Like that was her take from the whole thing. So her mindset was just not there yet. Right. She was just like, you said fearing and, oh my gosh, how am I ever not going to have a cinnamon roll again? And it's not that he can never have one. He can, if he can have it in a controlled fashion and it makes him feel good, but I bet he's not going to want it. It just doesn't serve him anymore in his new life and doesn't let him do what he wants to do and enjoy his kids. And so it's, he, he deserves more than that stupid cinnamon roll. Sure, sure. You know, I know that I know that you said in the beginning that you know when we talk about diet, it's different for everyone, right? And we have to find what works for us. But if you took your kind of standard average week for yourself, I mean, what would your diet look like? Just to give people an idea of like what do you what do you focus on? Considering, and we can maybe just talk about that a little bit afterwards. But you were saying you came from being a professional dancer, being you know underweight but using way too much energy to where you are now, like what would your week look like? Like if I had to hang around with you, like what would I see? Well, I'm not a vegetarian anymore and I eat red meat like crazy (laughs) because it just does. It feels good to me. And that was huge. Being a vegetarian was my identity and everyone was like, well, Ashley would never eat any kind of red meat. And here I, I eat steak pretty often. So, um, anyway, I, I'm not a big breakfast eater. I'm not hungry. So I have coffee with heavy cream in it every morning. And, and so I kind of get that 16, eight hour window, but I cheat a bit because I get a, a big load of fat in there in the morning. And that, um, lasts me till about noon and probably, you know, after this, I might have an egg with some sausage and some kale in it. Um, some spinach, whatever veggies. I, I like to put some sprouts in it because those guys are really dense, like bro- broccoli sprouts or kale, mustard seed sprouts. You could eat like get all the nutrition from a whole head of broccoli and a few of those sprouts. So something like that. And then um, I might have a protein shake as a snack or a protein bar because I work a lot. So it has to be speedy. And in that shake, I might throw some berries, some frozen sp- spinach, unsweetened almond milk in there. Um, and then for dinner, I have some kind of meat or animal protein or fish and some kind of veggie like that. So I'm pretty low carb. I don't eat a lot of carbs. They don't make me feel good. Um, and then I love dark chocolate. So I'll eat some of that. Um, but yeah, that that's it. So yeah, you mentioned breakfast. So that's one thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, the, you know, a lot of times you hear breakfast, the most important meal of the day, right? And uh, so I'll get your take on that. but. I, I just can't do breakfast. And I guess one of the reasons why I can't do it is for the longest time when I was coaching, I would be up at like 5 a.m. in the morning, getting ready, be at the academy at 6 a.m. teaching, and I would go to around about 11 a.m. And there was just wasn't time to eat. And plus, anytime I ate in the morning before I went to go and teach, I just felt terrible, right? Because all of that stuff's now moving in, in you and, you know, you're trying to digest and you're moving around. It's, it's just not a good combination. So I just don't enjoy breakfast. Is it really true, you know, that you have to eat breakfast? It is the most important meal of the day. Do you know who said that? No. Breakfast is, yeah, Kellogg. Oh, right. There we go. There's no real good research to support the fact that metabolically and from a health standpoint that we need to be or should be eating breakfast. It's pretty bogus. So if you're hungry, you eat it. If it makes you feel good, do it. But if you're not hungry like you, I would never suggest that you need to add a breakfast in. 
Okay. So that's good to know. I guess the thing is, is that, you know, what I'm getting the senses from your program is that as people go through this process, one of the things that's going to happen is they're going to be able to improve their self-awareness. And as they become more aware of themselves, they will be able to trust their body's signals and what they need, right? Rather than just kind of doing it because they've always done it, like the cinnamon roll, or because they stressed out and that's kind of where they go. You start to get, I guess, a different signal set coming from your body that gives you different information, which then you can trust and then you end up kind of moving in the right direction. Does that make sense? Perfect. That's exactly right. It's another reason why I really dislike calorie trackers. It's the same thing. We're just, we're, we're not a calorie tracker. We don't work that way. I, I really dislike them because they push us to eat it in certain ways when, you know, we have a, a red 500 calories at night and we're in the pantry thinking, you know, what, what can I eat? What should I eat for all these different fearful reasons where if you're not hungry, why are you in the pantry? I don't care what any calculator or tracker says, you need to listen to your body. And, and right now where a lot of us are because of the foods, because of our metabolism, the fat mass, we can't trust our, our feelings, but when we can let that go and develop this self-awareness, awareness, like you said, then those signals start to make sense. Um, and when we can start to listen to those and, and figure out what our unique body needs. So on that point, Ashley, when you said like the whole, you know, breakfast, the most important meal of the day you know, nonsense, nothing to back it up from research. What about eating too late in the evening? Is there a problem with that? Like I know, for example, again, same thing is that all that time that I was teaching, I would get home really late. And so I'd end up eating quite late. And then there wasn't a lot of time between finishing eating and then going to bed. I mean, is that a good or a bad thing? So eating late does impact our sleep negatively. Okay. Because your body is metabolizing, metabolizing food, it's busy, and it just can't focus on what it should be doing when you're sleeping. So yeah, heart rate will go up, you won't get as much deep sleep, some people heartburn, you know, so it is best to give the body some time to digest if you can, or for in your situation, maybe eating, I don't know if it was possible, but more of a meal at lunch, or like a late lunch, and then maybe just something light some kind of protein to support everything that your body just did before you go to bed. If you needed that, um, there's also some genetic snips that, um, really allow you to not tolerate eating at night. I have that. So if I eat late at night, then I'm going to be prone more to develop pre-diabetes and high blood sugar situations. So yeah, that's a, that's a real thing. Okay. So that's a good point. Yeah. Talk to me quickly about your time being a professional dancer, so coming up in it was it was ballet, right? That's that's where you you focused. And kind of what was the real main driver for you to move into where you are now? Because what I got from reading some of your material is that you saw a lot of success, and what you really wanted to do was not just only have success for yourself, but you wanted to spread that that message. You wanted to help other people. Yeah, am I? I have this burning desire and passion to help people realize that there's hope that they can make a change and just to fight for the underdog um, because we've just been told so much misinformation. It just doesn't work. And I know how frustrated I was and how it shortened my dancing career, which was everything to me. And if I had 
known what I know now about nutrition, my career would have been longer and probably much less painful, but I'm so glad it happened the way that it did. You know, it taught me all of these lessons and now I get to share these and help other people. And we're helping thousands of people really reverse obesity and obesity related health conditions. And even those who, you know, might just have 10, 15 pounds to drop, but it's frustrating and they don't like the feel of it. So, um, yeah, that, that was my desire and my purpose in going into and doing all this education is to ultimately help people kind of avoid what I went through and just, um, be able to live their best life. I think that's very powerful because one of the things that I've also realized through also just, you know, I've gone through stages. Uh, there was times when I was traveling all the time, just keeping on top of my diet was really difficult. But as I've got older, I'm now dealing with injuries from all the years of just pretty much putting my body through the, the rinse cycle. And uh, diet is a big thing. Uh, aspect in that as we talk about just inflammation and that can set off you know in, the inflammatory markers in your in your body and that can affect your the injuries you already have and make it even worse right so as you found that when you were when you were underweight probably that affected your injuries and made them even worse and i found the same thing is that when you know if you're not eating correctly that can also have a negative impact on you know injuries that you're already dealing with yeah, for sure. And, and so for me, I wasn't even necessarily underweight. I was just always restricting calories, but never where I needed to be. I wasn't lean enough. And so with that, my body just didn't have the energy it needed to heal and to, to, you know, heal my stress fractures. It just, all it had was enough energy to deal with the stress of what I was going through and all the energy I was expending through the day, but my body still was holding on to the fat. So, um, yeah, it definitely impacts inflammation. Um, and we can see this from many avenues, not just the foods that we're eating, but again, this fat mass, these fat cells secrete inflammatory hormones. So when you carry around this belly fat, you have this underlying level of high inflammation. Then you generally we're eating foods that are high inflammatory. So we are balls of inflammation. Um, and we see this, you know, what's happening with COVID, it just brings light on inflammation in general and how it's so important to have our bodies where it needs to be and eat these foods so that we can drop our inflammation and deal with whatever comes our way. Mm, I think that's a very important point. So as we come to the end of our interview, what parting words of wisdom would you like to leave us with? Hmm. Well, you know, you took one of them, which was don't feel you have to eat breakfast. <laughs> um, just, you don't, you don't have to do it if it doesn't feel good. And then, you know, secondly, getting support. I think oftentimes we feel like we need to make these big changes on our own. There's shame and guilt associated with um, asking for help, especially in this way from a weight loss perspective, when it's really complicated. And like we said, there's so many misconceptions out there. And it's, you need someone else to, to come in and say, maybe this is what's happening. Just like with you and your cheese, I'll be really interested if you add some olive oil or avocado oil or something in there, more nuts and seeds, if you won't find the desire for it. So, so I'd say that that's a huge thing is to, just to get outside support or accountability, have a buddy, someone to help you because it's really hard to do it on your own. 95% of diets we do on our own fail. I think only 19% of resolutions actually um, succeed. So it's just, it just goes to show you that you need community, you need support, you need guidance, and it's okay to ask. Ah!
To learn more about the art of self-reliance, our virtual coaching service, online courses, and our retreats in Thailand, head over to Primal Skills. That's with a Z.com.